0: Welcome to Ed Talks, an audio podcast presented by Achieve Twin Cities in partnership with Graves Venture, a project of the Graves Foundation. Ed Talks is a lively series of community conversations about public education and related issues that impact our young people. In this Ed Talk, Frank Gardner will explore how young people are still processing the tumultuous years of COVID quarantine and the murder of George Floyd through their use of spoken word, poetry, theater, songwriting, and activism, such as school walkouts. He will also share how he utilizes youth voice and spoken word to support young people in tapping into honesty and authenticity. And offer tools for teachers to navigate our current challenging teaching environment. This Ed Talk was live streamed from Ice House in Minneapolis on April 19th, 2023.
1: I was too young to remember at less than a year old, but apparently there was a beautifully brutal winter in America in 1974 my godfather told me about it through a poem once i became affluent with rage but almost 50 years later i regret to say that godfather gill had made a mistake there is no summer that ever comes during an ice age and the only warmth is in the heart of the compassionate those of us warriors who chisel through the ice in search of children to thaw so while most watch obama try to watched Obama try to hope his way through office. I was busy watching class after class after class of seemingly hopeless youth try to dodge a coffin. One young man, who was wearing a uniform of hopelessness, wrote a masterpiece of awful, tales of doing the unlawful. But when he spoke life into it, I watched his spirit soften. So I told him. Young man, you can make it after everything in this world you've taken, after everything this world has taken from you. He looked up at me as he thought about the jewel, and then he asked, But Mr. Frank, what do you do when you're born into a gang, and your parents run the crew? Cousins, uncles, aunts, siblings, too? See, his pants rest barely above his thigh, and there was ice in his eyes. He's not afraid to fly, but he's afraid he'll die if he tries so he keeps that ice in his eye to hide the fire in his soul. And he's brilliant, wise enough to make food and water out of dirty, fallen packs of snow. And these are things no one should ever know. And it's just a matter of time before he blows and then we all suffer because the next Malcolm X is face down in the snow. He won't even get a chance to go to prison, let alone college and grow. There will be tears dropped and shots fired at his funeral. Ooh, it's so cold, it's so cold, it's so cold, and it's so old, it's so old, it's so old. But Godfather Gil Scott told it was winter in America in 1974. And then George Floyd and Walter Scott left us a video update that corrected Godfather Gill's mistake, America is in an ice age and our collective consciousness is in a frozen vegetable-like state and we word-wielding warriors of compassion coded irate well wildly like all we have is the wind to amplify our cries, but the wind into which we howl is bitter. Sometimes it causes Whitey on the moon to shiver. And when he gets uncomfortable and straps on another jacket, another Aunt Sarah buries another black kid, and now the next Tupac is face down in the snow. I guess he said the truth, that is, the hate you give little infants everybody. But nobody's fighting because nobody knows what to say. And the few who know what to say don't know what to do. And the ones who know what to do are so afraid of losing any of their digits to the frostbite that they defend the money, the equality, the freedom, the truth with their lie. Because Godfather Gil had a message to the messengers in which he told me, if you really knew the truth, why would they tell you? Ooh, it's so cold it's so cold it's so cold and it's so old it's so old it's so old but godfather Gil scott told that it was winter in america in 1974 and then he said the revolution will not be televised and yet here it is live on a screen pod screen pad screen smartphone screen smart tv screen computer screen and just like you i keep putting my face in that damn book trying to escape these long dark days only to be reminded each and every time of godfather gill's understatement america is in an ice age and and that sucks, because an ice age is like a perpetual winter. And I don't know about you, but I hate the winter. Even on the days I'm trudging through the winter in the boots of a patriot. ah, It's all starting to make sense now. Perhaps my home is where the hatred is. But I can't save these kids with hatred, so it might not be such a bad idea if I never Never went home again. But yet through the voices of the unfertilized seeds planted in this unthawed tundra, I've learned it would be an awful idea if I never read a poem again. So I let my spirit flame through the universe like the end of the blunt resting in the next Gil Scott Heron's mouth as it hangs low like his pants and his hope. But then I listen to him spit fire poetry, and he melts snow. And I listen to the young lady next to him scream with hot breath. And she's not so alone and so cold in this world. And I listen with my heart, and my spirit stays whole. Because I know after the ice, will be the dawn of a new bloom from which a new humanity can grow, and the free laughter of the human's children will be the signal that it is finally winter in America no more. Thank you. Um, before I begin um, and even introduce myself, I want to say that this Ed Talks, this presentation is dedicated from me to Danny Solis, who was a giant in the national spoken word community who passed away recently and is with his spirit of grace and dignity and vocabulary and revolutionary mindset that I bring you this presentation today. So Danny, you earned it, brother. So my name is Frank Santwali I'm a spoken word artist at trade, but I'm also an arts educator. And one did not happen accidentally without the other because I never set out to be a spoken word artist. I didn't even set out to be a rap artist when I was a MC back in the 80s and when I was the first rapper to perform hip hop at Rondo Day celebration because rappers didn't make any money in the 80s. So I wasn't trying to be a rapper any more than I was trying to be a spoken word artist, and I definitely wasn't trying to be an educator, but what I've come to understand is those of us who work in the field of education, it chooses us, we don't choose it. And I mean that wholeheartedly because both of my parents were educators, I was avoiding it like the plague. (laughs) And yet here I am, for over 20 years now, being an educator. And so I have to tell you how I met spoken word so you understand why I teach with such a passion. So I came home from college, played basketball at Southwest State University. And being both my parents as educators, it was expected that I was going to go to college. But they never really talked about the after. I grew up with black parents that just said, you go to college. So now I'm home from college, and what do I do now? I don't know. Then my best friend gets murdered, thrown off of a bridge. Gruesome. Then, like most young men, I'm out here living my best life, and now all of a sudden I have a baby on the way from a woman that I barely know. And then it gets worse because my father kicks me out of the house. Because he said, you're grown, go be grown. So here I am in a depression, walking down the street, My high school sweetheart drives by, sees me, says she's never seen me look this down. Says she's doing a story on a place called the bomb shelter in Minneapolis where they do this spoken word poetry thing. What is that? She says, "Just what are you doing Friday? Nothing, come on with me, I'll take you there. So I go into this building and I immediately see a bunch of people that I recognize from my hip hop youth A young woman walks up to the microphone, and the music stops, and I'm confused, because that's not how rap or hip-hop is supposed to happen. And she begins to deliver a poem. And I sat in the front row, and she was halfway through her poem, and tears are streaming down my face. And I told myself, I'm going to live for seven more days, because the next Friday, I'm coming back to this place, and I'm going to perform a poem. So I go to where I'm staying, because when your parents kick you out of the house but you got a lot of friends, you're homeless but not houseless. And I go digging into an old computer box full of raps, looking for a poem. Because nobody ever came to my school and said rap is poetry. Nobody ever came to my school and said all of this creativity is poetry. So I'm digging and I'm digging and I'm digging and I'm digging And I finally find a piece that I wrote dedicated to the death of my best friend called The Killing Season. I go back that next Friday, I perform that particular poem, I end up at the end of the piece, on my knees, sweat profusely dripping down my body, mixed with tears coming out of my eyes, and I look up and they're giving me a standing ovation. And I realize right then and there, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I've been performing spoken word ever since. But it wasn't until some years later after I created or co-created Edupoetic Interbrainment that I started to realize, wow, look where I was at when I met this craft and look where I'm at now. Now I'm in Seattle, Washington performing on stages. Now I'm in New New Orleans, Louisiana performing on stages. Now I'm at the Walker Art Center performing on stages. And I thought to myself, you know who really needs this? Our kids. They need to be told that rap is poetry before they're in their 20s. They need to be told that their voice has power at a time when they're the most confused in their lives. So I started creating programming to go into schools and do what I thought was gonna be hip hop education, but I knew in order for schools to accept hip hop education in the early 2000s, late 90s, right at the height of the gangster rap stage, I needed to fool the educators by calling it spoken word poetry. And so I did. So I started doing spoken word residencies and programs, and I didn't quite have a complete model yet, but I went in 2001 to the Slam Masters meeting in Chicago where I met brother Danny Solis, and I made the pitch for the National Poetry Slam competition to come to Minnesota. And we were not going to get the bid until I started speaking, because really I wasn't going to speak. Carolyn Holbrook, who was the former director of Sassy the Right Place, was like, Frank, just come with. I said, for what, what you want me to do? She said, just come with. She said, I'll pay, free trip to Chicago, let's go. So I heard the main pitch person talking, and I'm looking at the faces of the slam masters, and I say, no, this isn't gonna work. So I start talking. Danny Solis comes up to me after we get the bid and said, okay, you opened your mouth. If Minnesota flounders, this is on you. And I said, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, it's on them. I'm just here for a free trip to Chicago. So then I went to Seattle in the end of 2001 to watch the National Poetry Slam competition. And it was there that I met James Cass, who in 1996 started Youth Speaks in the Bay Area started a program going into schools in the Bay Area to create spoken word programs for youth. And I met David Yanofsky, who created the Poetic License documentary. And then the Nationals came here, and it went great. And all of a sudden, a bunch of young people in the Twin Cities got introduced to spoken word. Then in 2003, Paul Flores, who was James Cass's assistant, co-director, co-creator of Youth Speaks, Came to the Twin Cities, came to St. Paul Central High School, where I was doing work with Jan Mandel. She asked me to help students create spoken word for a play that they were creating called Barriers to Entry, where young people were talking about the struggles of graduating high school and trying to figure out what to do next. Barriers of entry, not just to college, but to adult life. And so I helped those students write and create poems. Some of those students are running organizations to this day. True Art Speaks, Black Table Arts, and Dinez Smith, who you may or may not know, who wrote the critically acclaimed spoken word slash poetry book, Don't Call Us Dead, was one of those students. These were young people that were looking for something to do with their voice. That's why they spent half of their school day in Jan Mandel's theater class, forget the rest of the classes. Now these are young people that are running things in the Twin Cities and performing and collecting uh, stipends and getting critical acclaim around the country. They met spoken word, spoken word, met them. The work that I do is not about teaching young people how to write. It's about teaching young people how to exercise the power in their voice. And Sarah Kay who's the founder and co-director of Project Voice, who in her own right is a phenomenal national champion, award-winning slam poet, said the powerful and important thing about spoken word is it doesn't matter what the words look like on paper. It's about what it sounds like when you say it out loud. And that last part, when you say it out loud, our youth are looking for a way to exercise their voice. And in the Twin Cities, in a post-pandemic George Floyd, post-George Floyd era, our young people are looking for ways to exercise their voice more than ever before. Tamiko French created Legacy Arts Group and put together a play along with the young people called The Beautiful Ugly. It was the first time that an all-black cast of students in theater from the state of Minnesota performed at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in Edinburgh, Scotland, just this past fall. Much of their play was a combination of original songwriting, original spoken word poetry, and original script writing. This is a picture from the ending scene of the play up here and that's a little teaser. You're gonna hear a little bit more about that later on. One of the quotes from that ending poem, Mosiah writes, I think everything beautiful about my people shouldn't have to come from everything so ugly. These are the words of an 18-year-old. Judah Gardner, in that same play, wrote a song called Aftermath addressing how young people were feeling about the pandemic and about being isolated in their homes. And I can't sing, so I'm only going to give you the words. (laughs) But think about this coming from a 16-year-old. The days blur in front of my face. I keep trying to find my place. Every step forward is two steps back. What happens in the aftermath? Time flying by right in front of my eyes. Some things you just can't give back. What happens in the aftermath? Our youth are aware that they lost something that can never be replaced. They lost time, they lost socialization, they lost development, they lost growth. They lost a piece of their childhood. And no matter what's going on in our socio-political world, that'll never come back for them some things you just can't give back. Those of you who are educators, you know what happens in the aftermath. We're dealing with it. Look at the amount of teachers that are retiring or leaving the, the business. Look at the way schools are trying to restructure young people who lost two years of structure because of pandemic. What happens in the aftermath? The youth are also aware. They're writing it. What happens in the aftermath? An 11th grade young Caucasian student at Community of Peace Academy in my class residency last year in her poem called Our Perfect Country, in which she sarcastically says, because badges and knees are the judge and jury delivering life sentences before this country's black men make it to courtrooms in this perfect country. She, comp- she co- continues to repeat that refrain, in this perfect country, In sarcasm. In that particular poem, that refrain first stanza she talked about what it is to be a woman in our perfect country. Then she talks about what it is to be a Muslim woman and have your hijab and hijab ripped off in our perfect country. Then she talks about what it is to be an Asian woman and have acid sprayed in your face in our perfect country. And then she delivers this line in our perfect country. And then she talks about how the media perpetuates the anxieties of all of these things for young people in our perfect country. This is a high school junior who wrote this poem in one week and stands up and performs it for her grade for her classmates in one of my residencies. This is the type of power that I'm giving these young people. They already have it. I'm just giving them the platform to use it. Ninth grader from Henry High School earlier this year, talking about her experience with, yes, colorism in 2023. So what am I? There's no diagram for the color of my skin or the texture of my hair, so I sit on that fine line between black and white. I'll never understand what it's like to be 100% black. I'll never understand what it's like to be 100% white. All I know is I'm human, balancing between two worlds, two columns, sitting on that fine line. She performed that poem in an assembly for the entire ninth grade after performing it for her class that previous Friday. She wrote that poem in one week for her class assignment, performed it for her class, happily took her A, and then repeated the performance for the entire ninth grade that following week. The young people already have the answers to how they feel and how they experience the world and how the world moves through them. We just have to give them the platform to use it. In 1996, when James Cass created Youth Speaks, the motto for Youth Speaks is because the next generation can speak for itself. That was a generation ago. And they're still speaking for themselves. And it doesn't just relate to American students, but in the article Spoken Word Poetry with M- Multilingual Youth in Re- from Refugee Backgrounds in the Journey of Ad- Journal of Adolescent and Adult Literacy, There's a quote from PhD candidate Jennifer Burton and assistant professor Saskia Van Weigen in which they talk about their experience using spoken word to bring together a classroom of refugee students from different backgrounds with different languages. Building on students' personal stories and analyzing themes and patterns in their texts, spoken word poetry created opportunities for inquiry into broader sociopolitical issues and global inequities relating to language, migration, citizenship, and belonging. The article goes on to talk about how these students from different backgrounds, from different countries, from different refugee experiences, through their spoken word poetry, all of a sudden found a commonality that helped all of them learn the English language better. I work at Rochester STEM Academy for many, many years. It's an all Somalian charter school in Rochester, Minnesota. Many of the students are first generation. Many of them are immigrant students. And oftentimes I would have my first and second generation students work with the immigrant students on helping them translate the poems that they would write in their native language into English. And then they would perform them in English, even though they wrote them in either Arabic or Somali. And after years of doing that, the English language teacher said the way that these students were able to accelerate their learning of the English language through the spoken word poetry program was amazing. Because once young people feel empowered to exercise who they are and how they move through the world and how the world moves through them, learning everything else becomes easier. We all just want to be validated and accepted. Right? So I talked about my Henry High residency earlier this year. So I get home after the first week of my residency. It was a two-week residency working with two different teacher groups. And there's an email forwarded to me. And this was what the email said, wow. Kids have been so excited and talking about real stuff today. It's so cool. This morning, a few kids showed me their poems, and were, they were very nervous about speaking in front of everyone. Right now, they are reporting that they did okay but felt closer to others in their class. Kids who never talk to one another are just laughing and talking about all kinds of stuff. It's pretty great. Thank you for such a great experience for our kids." That wasn't even one of the teachers in the classes I worked with. Those kids were taking their experience to other classes and talking about their poems and their performances. And I love the part where she says they were a little nervous, they did okay with their poems, but they were really interested in what each other had to say, right? Because again, it's not what it looks like on the page, it's what it sounds like when it comes out of your mouth. Okay. So, I also do work in science classes. So Elijah here is a middle schooler at Sanford. And I'm gonna share a little bit, um, I'm gonna share Elijah's whole poem. So this is at the end of a week in which they do an assignment in their science class. They study body, body systems. And then I come in the next week and instead of getting a test about their body system unit, they write a poem using terminology from their body system as analogy, as metaphor, as illusion, to talk about some other system either within themselves or within the greater universe that, that we share, right? And so this is what Elijah came up with after one week of spoken word instruction. And think about how this brings classes together when a student like this, I don't wanna spoil it for you, says something like this.
2: Walk a mile in the shoes of a kid like me. Walk in my shoes as I enter my school where I hear hateful, heinous, horrible things uttered by my peers. The words invading my mind like the terrifying toxins that can invade your lungs and clock your alveoli. Mm. Feeling like that tar as I trudge through the hallways. Walking by as I get looks from kids who aren't much different from me. Mm. Programmed the same as me and breathing the same air that goes through our pharynx, down our trachea, into our bronchi, and finally our lungs. Our lungs, the base and that which keeps us going, just like my... Friends, family, even foes, but their words. Words are powerful. Words being repeated over and over until it is almost normalized. Hearing she, she, she until my ears bleed. Mm. Trying to understand why she, she, she is what you see when you see me. Unable to breathe as I try to explain why I'm in the she bathroom when I am a he. But why should a bathroom or a school or a classroom make me uncomfortable so walk a mile in my shoes when I tell people my name but they only seem to default to what I was born as, what I cannot control, what I didn't ask to be. So walk a mile in my shoes as a trans kid in our society. When you get told you're just confused when you know deep down this body isn't right for you. In, out, in, out. As I tried to breathe something fresh, but sooner or later after you found the right people, and the terribly toxic words aren't being uttered anymore. Just like your carbon dioxide gets exchanged for oxygen, your breath of fresh air will be acceptance.
1: Because the next generation can speak for itself. You can't watch that and say that somebody else is defining who that child is. Now put yourself back in seventh grade and imagine being a seventh grader expressing those thoughts and feelings that articulately, that poetically, that freely in front of all of your classmates and peers. Most of us probably think back to seventh grade and are like, hell no, right? That was just one poem out of a class full of them, a week worth of work. Spoken word empowers young people. So, how can you utilize spoken word in the classroom if you're an educator, right? Well, this is what I do. I ask students to watch spoken word poems from Brave New Voices, from Button Poetry, from YouTube searches, utilize the technology that the kids are already utilizing. I ask them about the process, what makes spoken word different from poetry. How do spoken word poets use figurative language? How do spoken word poets utilize their bodies and voices? Educators, don't be afraid of the technology, use it. Use YouTube as a resource. Use dictation features. Maren was talking about students with disabilities. I have a lot of students that are ashamed of how they spell, or they're ashamed of how they write, and I tell them, It's not about what it looks like on the page. Dictate. You do talk to text all the time. Dictate your poem. Copy it, paste it, edit it. Dictate to your computer. Utilize your tools. Oops, sorry. I went the wrong way. Of course, technology, right? Oh, this one, I got it. Yep, I got it. Oh, it's not up there? Oh, I went way too far the wrong way. Help! (laughs) Speaking of utilizing technology, right? (laughs) Encourage students to write love poems, right? Encourage students to write love poems. That doesn't mean sexual poems or intimacy poems, but we talk about everything in schools. We want to teach kids everything, but we don't allow them to talk about love. That doesn't make any sense. We talk about violence. They're talking about school shootings. We do drills. We're talking about drugs and drug education. We even talk about sex education. But we don't talk about love. So that means the 14-year-olds are learning about love from the 14-year-olds. That's the blind leading the blind, right? So encourage them to write love poems. Allow students to write unfiltered. It is an assignment. Teach it as a presentation assignment. We have to teach public speaking. Teach it as a presentation assignment. Bring in people like me. (laughs) Bring in guests. Allow students to write I think and I feel because it's better than I am. I hate I am prompts. Every teacher's got the same I am from, I am of, I am. No. How do you feel? That's what matters. That's my shameless plug up there. Bring in artists, bring in Tish Jones, bring in Desdemona, bring in Guante, bring in Seymour Perspectives, bring in Frank Centwally, bring in artists to come in and be a different voice and face and space in the room, okay? Compass.org is where you can find most of us, another shameless plug. And by the way, April is National Poetry Month. And I know I've gone a little bit over my time, but if it's okay, can I perform one more poem? This poem pretty much says it all. It's called No Pain, No Gain. And I wrote this poem a long time ago and I still perform it in classes to this day. I wrote it with observation of and dedication to students at Ramsey Junior High School, before it was Ramsey Middle School, that's how old this poem is. No pain, no gain. No pain, no gain. No pain, no gain. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my sister's leader? Would it be rude of me to salute the future Y'all know the sagging, stunting, sassy, said-to-be-scary youth who navigate the lies of yesterday, who wade through a forest of this the way and that the way, who float through today. My blurry-eyed wanderer stumbling through the maze of now in search of tomorrow, feeling most days just to be alive is to expect sorrow, to internalize pain. You embrace the hurt in the name of simply staying sane, and silently you tell yourselves the motto just to maintain, no pain, no gain, no pain, no gain. And then you walk off into the world, and you proudly proclaim, my broken home is only going to make me stronger. You see, I've seen it. I've seen some search for love and gangs and others endure unimaginable things because belonging is so much better than longing. And the bruises and the hickeys and the cuts and the scars, the emotional stains, you wear them as shields of armor, as badges for that refrain, no pain, no gain, no pain, no gain. And then you wonder if anyone can understand because the grown-ups keep talking, right? talking about how you got to have a plan, talking about how you got to do the best you can. But you're trying to figure out if you fought when you should have ran or if you ran when you should have fought and you don't know which way to go, so you want to bury your heads in the sand. And some find ways, too, they laugh and joke all day through the trials of school. Others run outside so they can sneak a smoke or two. And then there's those who cling to each other in the hallways or mold your cheeks to a desk because here you can sleep when at home there's only rest and the learning hurts and the English and science lessons leave you more stressed and you feel bombarded by rapid-fire math tests and it feels as if there's no protection for your chest but you have to remember if you have breath you are blessed and I know it sounds cliche but it's so very true your education is the key to unlock the treasure chest and although sometimes the red pill can be agonizing in this matrix to digest you must Swallow the same motto you used to survive in the streets to maintain in school. It's no pain no gain No pain no gain, and it's not your fault You are not to blame not for when where how or why you were placed on this earthly plane You didn't create my space back in the day. You didn't strip the women on MTV You didn't ask for YouTube no child left behind Facebook Twitter snapchat Instagram TikTok, BET no You just jumped out of womb let out a scream and set out to be free And you didn't ask for the inappropriate touch little sisters and you didn't ask to be betrayed by the ones who are supposed to teach you how to love little sisters and you didn't demand this culture filled with sex, drugs, and thugs, little brothers, but you also didn't draw a bad card because you have the power to stand, to walk, to run, to see, to smell, to hear. You can shout from the top of your lungs and you can make miracles appear. You could register yourself for class, miss two weeks of school, fall two months behind, run through the hallway, gossip all day, focus on fashion, haters and imitators, and then block it all out at the last possible moment and still you find a way to pass. Ask me you guys are brilliant and gifted and you stand at the head of the class even if you're from the school of hard knocks And that's why I believe in the words of Tupac when he said they say there ain't no hope for the youth And the truth is there ain't no hope for the future There's hope I have faith. I stay surrounded by angels who have learned to fly and others who are still afraid. But nonetheless, I see them as angels searching through the dark for a flame to light the way. Well, hear what I say. The sunshine they seek won't be found in them streets. It's not in boyfriend, girlfriend, best friend, mother, father, teacher. It's not within me. It already lies within thee. I tell the youth, you and you and you and you, you all. Embrace your greatness as you embrace your struggles, your inner Frederick Douglass. Without struggle, there's no progress, get it? For over 250 years, when it comes to trying to maintain, the motto has always been the same. It's no pain, no gain, no pain, no gain. And as I allow the spirits of the ancestors to move through me on this day, I ask you to believe in the words of this poem. As I believe in your greatness, I salute you. I recite this with love and honesty as my offerings with hopes that you will take this. Am I my baby brother's keeper? I, my little sister's leader, I hope you will allow me to be this. We'll guide each other through the storms of this world today. We'll shelter each other through the rain. And when it hurts too bad, we'll sing some old school still saying Kanye together. Now, not, not that which don't kill me can only make me stronger. And I need y'all to hurry up now because I can't wait much longer. The youth have got to be right now because this world can't get much stronger, And then you can be soldier boys and soldier girls and fly off into this universe like superheroes and tell those who doubt your victories like fools all oh. Oh, you remember my name like fame because you are the tomorrows of today. And you should no longer allow your voices to sit silently on some shelf. No, we shall write our poems, our stories, our lives, our ideas, our rhythms, our rhymes, our philosophies, our experiences. We shall write our poetry together because, as James Cass said, the next generation can speak for itself. No pain no gain, no pain, no gain, no pain. I'm Frank Twali, no gain y'all. I think cops should unknowingly be set up in situations to see how they treat other races differently. I
2: think
0: a fluent white kids should be shown videos of police brutality so they understand some of my PTSD. I think white kids should hear gunshots on their way to school so they understand why I walk so fast. I think. I think schools should make their kids be the homeless so we never lose the respect for the people we might see as below us, I think, that the earth should get a pandemic every 10 years so we understand that there's better things to do than hurt each other, I think. Hey, I think everyone who does not understand should watch everything they love. Cherish care about dies slowly with a knee on its neck and as the world scream, please stop nothing happens I think everything beautiful, but my people shouldn't come from everything so ugly I think The answers but I do know that I need your help to find them
1: the next generation can speak for itself
0: Ed Talks is presented by Achieve Twin Cities in partnership with Graves Venture a project of the Graves Foundation. For more information on Ed Talks, or to watch Ed Talks videos, or listen to audio podcasts, visit AchieveTwinCities.org.